How good to see Neil here. Oh, fantastic. I mean, you'd turn out just to give that man a hug, wouldn't you? It's, he's such an inspiration. I know we use that word a lot, but it's so well-deserved. It almost feels like an understatement to say that about Neil. I mean, he's a man that got told he had a disease that he had 27 months at best to live, and here he is still fighting. So we're just getting behind him, and so should you. <laughs> Today, Jono joins me to discuss all the action. Yeah, I mean, we'll start with Melbourne. They didn't. They didn't show, did they? They were a bit of a no-show today. And uh, watching it because I was watching the physical game, their pressure wasn't there. That bears out in the tackle stats. We were at forty-four. Our season average is sixty-four. I, I, I don't read too much into it. No, if I was if I was goody, I'd have been like, "All right, boys, go and take a week off. Then we'll look at it." We'll look at it when you come back. The part that did concern me was the 10 minutes they were trying to desperately get back into it. All the structure was gone. It was just dump kicks and real hackery mm, stuff. chaotic. Yeah, but not in, a, not in a constructive way, in a really unpleasant-to-watch way. They, they lost all their structure. Uh, at one point, you could hear Angus on, on TV on a boundary throw and go, guys, talk, talk. Like, so they lost. I think they just thought it would happen. It didn't, and... That happens. Yeah, they haven't earned the right to just click it on and off. You've got to you've got to have a few runs on the board before you do that. They struggled to get Langdon and the other headband into the game. I think it'll be a good one to to bring back when they're back from their break. But I wouldn't worry about it too much. It's been a pretty pretty impressive first half of the season, and you don't want to lose everything you've gained and throw the baby out with the bathwater. Collingwood, in fairness, we've mentioned them a few times the past few weeks. Their form has been, for a month, pretty solid. I mean, they kept Geelong within 10 points. They lost by a point to Port in a game they should have won. They went and won in Adelaide with all the quarantine stuff, and now they're beating Melbourne. So, you know, rejoice. Rejoice for who knows what comes next. Look, I I don't anticipate that Robert Harvey will be good or bad as a caretaker coach, but I don't think he'd be in their long-term plan. It takes him out of the Clarko sweepstakes. I think they may have had a chance to get him if the season was over. But outside of that, it means they can do their, do their due diligence now and pick their target and try and find the right fit for where the list is going to go. Doing it this way, you know, they have their buy. Harvey can come in and be a bit of a fresh voice, but there's really, you know, nothing, nothing to see here. But it does put them ahead of the curve in terms of the recruitment of what they need to do next and 
with Graham Wright in charge, it'll be interesting. Let's start with the biggest winner. We've always got a biggest winner of a round, so... I think it'd have to be West Coast. They won a game that they shouldn't have won. It keeps them in touch. It keeps them well in the eight. It should give them a bit of momentum. They'll have some fresher bodies after the break. So for them, that was a really good win. I'm going to go Neil Danaher, the ah, big freeze. Legend. It's a feel-good story. Moon, I think. He was on AFL 360 during the week. He's hard. He's really hard to understand now, which is sad, but it was an expected sort of thing. And they did a beautiful segment with him and his daughter. The fact that they still raised, like you say, two mil with no one there at the MCG today. Great cause. So I I just think it's a beautiful thing that they keep doing it and all these people keep participating and getting around it. And So my big winner is Neil Danaher, Freeze MND. Great to see some big money raised for a very worthy cause. Who's your biggest loser for the round? Well, it's funny. It's a team that didn't lose a game, but they didn't win the game. And GWS pretty much lost their last chance to stay in touch with the eight. So they were the biggest loser for me. North really just died in the ass, basically. But that's not to be unexpected with a team of that sort of experience. And I think they got so excited to be where they were that they really didn't know what to do. And they came at them, but they didn't win. And it's a results thing for the GWS at this stage and they didn't get the four points. So they're the biggest loser as far as I'm concerned. Gold Coast for me. They were not worthy of looking at and they were the only game on in town and I think everyone finally noticed and their gap between their best and the worst is still too big. They are who they are, but at the same time, that was a dog of a performance. Do you think that Stewie's in trouble? He's contracted till the end of next year, so I wouldn't say immediately, but you'd want to, he'd want to be closing that gap. I think you're absolutely correct in the fact that the, the difference between their good footy and bad footy is, is quite significant. Let's move into some of our other topics. We're going to skip the power rankings this week on a mutual, yep. mutual agreement. We'll get all teams finalised after round 14 and see where the lay of the land is from there. Unhappy Yugul Hagen... Yeah, so I was, you know, scrolling through Twitter, as I do, and Sammy Edmund had a had a good two-and-a-half-minute about how he may be a trade target and a willing trade target as early as this off-season. Based on what? Like based on his unhappiness at not getting a game. He wants to play now. He thinks he's good enough to play now. And, look, he hasn't played since May the 5th. They didn't take him on the trip. You know, these are all opportunities to get experience, whether it's on the field or off the field, in a 30-man travelling party or something. And those all struck me as really salient reasons for why a person would be unhappy. So I'll tell you what, if you've got a if you've got a top three pick and a couple of decent second rounders or something, you'd be like, all right, if he's gettable, I'll I'll make a play. Is he gettable? Look, Western Bulldogs are generally pretty good at this, and Bevo doesn't care what people think. Otherwise, you know, there's blokes that would have played every game for other teams that keep going in and out of his side. Well, anyway, Eugle Hagen. I don't see that trade happening, but it's something to keep an keep a watch on for sure. I did want to bring up the Hawks, your team, the concussion at training. <laughs> yeah, that was an accident. Look, if you're going to have boxing in your programs you're going to have incidents that happen. Apparently Hawthorne filmed it. They did everything by the book. 
the investigation still happen is still going to happen, which is as it should be. It seems a pretty straight up. What did Clarko say in the, the post-game press conference? He zigged when he should have zagged and got tagged, and that was that. They flagged it, and the AFLPA flagged it to the AFL, and the investigation will run its course. I don't see anything malicious in it. The only issue is there is a lot of talk around head trauma in sports, and to have someone knocked out in a training program, boxing without, without protective gear, it's kind of silly. I don't know. I don't think we should be so flippant about a concussion at training for really no reason. Bit of yeah, a silly. I'm not flippant about it, but I mean, this is the risk that you undertake when you utilize that method in your training program. Like you could be covered in bloody bubble wrap and stuff and things can still happen. We have to have Bucks on the agenda. Since we spoke last week, literally he's gone. A mutual parting of ways. Buckley is finished. He's coached his last game against the Demons. A win on the way out the door. Appropriate send-off for a bloke who's given some 25 years of his life to the Collingwood Football Club. Now, Jimmy J and I are going to talk in depth about Bucks, but just some thoughts from yourself on Bucks's career as a coach player, the whole shebang. Look, I can appreciate his value to the Collingwood Football Club, but the way he's been faded going out the door, you'd think he was Kevin Sheedy. And he's not. He's been, for for lack of a better term, a pretty mediocre coach. He took him to a grand final when they weren't expected. But outside of that, he took a premiership level squad and didn't take it very far. But that's the game you play when you're a personality like Bucks as well. Like I, I can I appreciated him more for how they played for him today, as an example of what he meant to the playing group than probably anything else anybody could have said or or how they could have acted. And I think from that perspective, you really it does give it a bit more of a gives you a bit more understanding of how he's held in the regard by the players that played for him. But I think the I think I think the facts are pretty clear. He wasn't a great coach. Yeah, I thought today was a send off that that showed that they he they were still playing for him. I think they wanted to send that message in a lot of ways too. The difference between those two sides today said everything I think about what he means to that playing group and to that football club. And I think it was. A really nice way to send him off. Was he a great coach? Oh, look, who knows? I think he got better. I think that's clear. Yeah. I think I think he learned on the job. However, what I would say for him is he's a tremendous spokesperson for the game. Uh, I think the AFL absolutely love the way he approaches every element of what he does and how he represents the code. So on that level, I think there's a real future for him in the media probably next year. He's well thought out. He's clearly... A pretty intelligent guy. Is he a people person? Maybe not always. And maybe that's part of his downfall. But I think he's got a really great way of expressing his thoughts and his sentiments, particularly in the media. And I see a future for him for him there, at least in the short term. I don't think he'll be out of coaching for too long. And I think he'll actually be a better coach somewhere else. Let's move past Bucks. Let's move on to the coaching vacancy. So who do you think? What if Uze. you were picking right? You think Adam Uze today? Absolutely, I think he's the best credentialed assistant coach in the game at the moment. Hawthorne didn't want to lose him. He learned under Clarko. He was very important to the Hawthorne setup, and the way that he's transformed that Melbourne midfield unit this year is pretty evident to see. He was a bloody good player, but he wasn't a superstar player. And sometimes you need that in a coach because they understand how to get the most out of 
more marginal talent. I would pick him. If it was up to me and if it was if I could get him, I would go for Clarko every day of the week. But that's obviously in the way that this scenario is played out is is not something that you can do. So you go the next best thing. And I think he is more ready to lead a team such as Collingwood than, say, Sam Mitchell is. Although Sam Mitchell, I don't think, would be a bad runner-up. I've got a question for you. I've got a follow-up question for you. Why... Because he was like going mid-season, do you think Clarko is suddenly an absolute no-go for Collingwood? You can get Clarko. So why can't they get him now? The scenario has to be the best place and time. Look, if they're going to make a decision, they're going to have this decision made before the end of the season. Why? Well, I think it's the nature of these these beasts. It's the nature of, of these decisions is that this new regime needs to be seen to be doing something. It needs to be seen to be independent of the old regime. They need to be moving forward. Clarko's under contract. He's going to be insanely expensive. And it's like, well, maybe we'll just poach his number two. If it was at the end of the year, Clarko would be already have been, like his, his season is over as well, but Clarko is not even going to entertain anything like that. Why? Because he... It's how he thinks. It's so you how think he won premiership. you Clark think would just be like, I'm not, I'm not wait on, wait on, wait on, wait, wait. Your logic's lost me. Uh, Clarko, well, okay. So you're saying they they can't get Clarko right now because they've started the process before the season ends. But then you're also saying they can't get him once the season's over because that's not how he operates. No, they could get him if the season was over. They can't get him now. Well, why can't they he, wait till the end of the season? I don't think. If, if this process with Buckley had have happened at the end of the season, they would have a better chance to be able to pry Clarko away from Hawthorne. I don't know. We'll, we'll probably find out more about how quickly their timeline is. If they're not going to do anything until the end of the season, then, yeah, they can get Clarko. Yeah, I just don't think Clarko... I still don't think Clarko's going anywhere. That's just... I, I think he's quite happy where he is. I'm a lot more happy with where we're at with Clarko in the last couple of weeks than I was maybe a month ago. I don't see him leaving for Collingwood. Yeah, I've got a bit of an outsider. I've got um, Brad Scott. That's interesting. That's a good. That's a good one because he's not a bad coach. Yeah, he's at the AFL. He's not an untried coach, which I really don't see Collingwood doing. I do, I just can't see that happening. I think they look at Carlton and go, "We're not going down that path, no matter how talented Uze is or Sam Mitchell after six VFL games." I don't understand the hype around Sam Mitchell. I don't get it. I just, Voss, Buckley, all these guys heard they should do a longer apprenticeship before they get into senior coaching for mine. So the other thing here is Graham Wright is the decision maker who just spent 10 years of his career with Hawthorne. So he knows the ins and outs and everything there. So if he wants a Hawthorne coach, he'll probably find a way to get one. Now, Jono, let's move into a different sport. Now, I don't know how to pronounce this this man's name. Simon... Kaya, I think. It's Kaya or Kaya. He's the Denmark captain of their soccer team in the Euro 2020. And he brought a young man, basically helped bring a young man back to life who passed out on the pitch. Yeah, Christian Eriksen, hell of a footballer. Also happens to be Denmark star player. Also a teammate of Simon Kaya at Inter Milan. And yeah, pretty innocuous just kicked the ball back after a throw-in, staggered, 
and went down. And it was pretty much the greatest, I think the collect, collectively the greatest example I've seen of crisis management in a sporting thing ever. It took four, was it five seconds for the referee to blow time off and bring the medicos on. That never happens. Because, you know, sometimes it'll be in a, in a it, you've got a, you know, a, an attacking manoeuvre or you've got, you know, something, something important's happening or there's people around. But he literally went, boom, blew the whistle, got him over. Kyo went straight over there, put him in the right position, cleared his airways, started CPR, then went straight over to his missus afterwards. Like, it was the most amazingly level-headed thing and he saved his mate's life. Just Incredible, like isn't it? I just, oh, I just, I try to limit what I watched to just the incident, and then I saw the how he he got the the whole team around um, and tried to cover up as best they could. So it, and then he went over to his wife, and like that just shows a level of care and compassion. To give the full context for anyone who's not a soccer soccer ball game fan like me, this bloke has. Passed out on the pitch, as you said, within five seconds, the umpire's blowing the whistle, stopped the game. The captains got around him, cleared his airways. Well, the medicos were straight on the pitch. And then the team, the players formed that guard around him as they performed CPR on him on the pitch. And, and the players' faces were just clearly distressed, some praying. You know, his wife ran down, as you said, the captain who had also cleared his airways went and comforted her in the moment. It's just a bloody incredible act of so many people who came together in that moment of crisis. And you never know how you're going to react in a crisis until you do it. You're in one. Again, one of those perspective moments in sports, isn't it? Where it feels like that weekend's been full of them with MND and, and, you know, Ericsson. And this happens every, it happens every few years in football and it happens, it's happened a, a fair bit in, in American football and they never make it. Like they tend, they tend to pass away when they collapse on the pitch because nobody's able to to do what they did yesterday there's one other instance just as a big wrestling fan that i am where back in maybe 2012 2013 jerry lawler who was commentating the king jerry lawler had a heart attack at the desk Ah, yes and uh the medicos being right there ringside as they always are for these events were able to give him cpr and uh he did die but obviously they brought him back and he was taken hospital and one of those moments where literally, and it sounds, it, it may be very similar, where for no apparent reason, someone's heart just stops. As you say, it's all about timing, isn't it? If that happens to that man 20 minutes if before, he, 20 minutes after the game, who, who bloody knows, right? Yeah, or even if it had taken him one more minute for the medicos to get out there. Like, you know, from what they were saying, he was gone for a brief period of time and the, the first jolt of the electricity brought him back, so... Yeah, which was all broadcast, which is the issue I have. So I think I think it's pretty disgraceful that they broadcast that. Even and the one the one sport that I know, even though they come under some fire for the Romain Grosjean incident last year, but Formula One, if they think there's been a really serious accident, they will cut away. You'll get long shots, you'll get commentators, you'll get anything but the incident. The BBC took forever to cut away. Ooh. Well, the problem was that they're not the host broadcaster. But you can cut away. You can cut what away from the feed. What they were trying to say was that they couldn't cut away from the feed. That's um, a joke. 
Well, that's the that's the excuse. It's it doesn't pass the smell test. Oh, it's a lie. That's a flat out lie. If if they've said that, they've lied. The Formula One operates think, the same way. I haven't read what the BBC said. I just know that Lineker said that if he was commentating at the time, he wanted it to he wanted it to go back to the studio because Twitter just immediately just went, "What the hell are you doing?" I think the owners' responsibility should be on the host broadcaster more so than anybody else. You know, everybody that was operating under cutaway feeds, I don't know how quickly they were able to respond. They didn't respond quickly enough. Yeah, for what it's worth, I, I agree with that. The host has a responsibility too, right? The host feed was ridiculously complicit in what they showed is ridiculous, right? That said, the BBC is a huge network. You can cut away in a second. You've got a studio show that you can you cut to. So? It's ghoulish. It's like watching, you know, it's like people that watch... It's ghoulish. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It's deplorable. But yeah, Simon Kiara should never, ever have to buy a beer again, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, what he did was incredible. Bravo. Bravo to everyone involved that helped save that man's life. Outside of having children and, you know, living a good and, and prosperous life, he'll never do anything better. Sportsman of the year. Hand it out right now. Yeah. Seriously, make it for the next fifty years, and I'd say he'd be inside the top three. He did it. He did a good job. And uh, it's not on our list, but uh, the Joker has now won every Grand Slam twice. Bloody good tennis player. He was two sets to love down, and he's won the final. He's a, Look, he's, what? There's a. All there's, I know is that my Serbian mates think he's the greatest thing that's ever walked the earth. I think, for the time of tennis that we're living through. I take for granted that we're watching three of the absolute all-time greatest all-on show at the same time in Nadal, Djokovic, Federer. There's nothing like those three. And we'll never see anything like it. And all different. All different, yeah. The way their tennis goes against each other and how they play against each other and all the nuances like that. It's like it's like watching Grandmasters battle. And that you see how much it means to them even after all this time. And it's like... It's probably the most competitive trio of athletes I've ever seen in any sport. All right, uh, NBA. Let's get into some NBA talk. Yep. Soccer ball game and tennis ball game are not our specialties. Let's be real. No, we're, I'm. I'm like unless there's a fiery Yugoslavian by the name <laughs> of Goran playing, I'm generally not into tennis. <laughs> I don't mind a bit of tennis, but I don't watch it near enough to be an expert. So. NBA talk. I look. I've got one topic. One topic for the week here, and that's Chris Paul. Man, how good is it? How good is it? This Everything is... that we knew he was, he finally got to show. And, and to use one of your terms, I hope he stays whole. And if he gets eliminated, it's on merit, because yeah. that man's had more than enough bad luck. Look, I mean, I'm not a big symphony orchestra guy, but it's like watching that guy that's been, you know, the third, the third violinist at the back keep breaking his hand every time. Every time he or, or gets a hangnail the night before his big solo, <laughs> and he never gets to prove it, and now he's just like, "This is my world now, and this is what you, this is what I've been waiting my entire career to show you." This is what you get when you allow somebody like Chris Paul to shepherd these guys through this scenario. It's like it's like somebody just going, "All right, just let me take you where I know you could go." And Chris Paul's always been the guy that's like, he can't take you there. And now he's taking you there. And I'm not betting against them to get out of the West. They are looking so cohesive, playing beautifully crisp basketball. 
Can we just but, for a sec also? I really want to. This is going to sound crazy to bring up now. Two years on, they salary dumped him for Russell Westbrook, and gave picks for someone to yeah. take him off them. Chris Paul, the point guard. And they didn't get pilloried at the time because everybody's like, yeah, it's probably yeah. what you got to do to get to that. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's unbelievable how that narrative changed, isn't it? You know who he is? He's got a bit of Eddie Guerrero about him. I'll oh, lie, yes. I'll, I'll, lie yeah. I'll cheat, I'll steal for the win. Yeah, he's definitely <laughs> that. If I get to this point, nothing's safe. He's, I'll whack somebody pre-game. He's the dude that'll bring a chair in the ring throw it over to his opponent while the ref isn't looking, then fall down on the mat like he got whacked with it. Yeah. He hit me with the chair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bit of Tony Harding about like... Thank you for listening to another episode of Sports Speak. For more information on the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at sports underscore speak underscore podcast. And we'll be back with more soon.